Team Sockop, Hey there, 1MM audience. This is Chief Audio Engineer Travis Cook Johnson here with our third episode of Anatomy of a Song. In this show, we take an in-depth look at the process of creating a song for one million musicals. This week, our music supervisor, Daniel Clintworth, is joined by a very special guest, James Batchelor, who wrote the music and lyrics for Teen Sock Hop Sweetheart, the opening number of our latest musical, Lady Jane's Radio Takeover. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, my name is Daniel Clintworth and I'm the music supervisor for One Million Musicals and you are listening to the latest installment of Anatomy of a Song. Today we're talking about the opening number from our latest episode, Lady Jane's Radio Takeover. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, just go ahead and click that pause button, go listen to it and come back. Don't worry, we'll wait. You're back? Okay, great. For those of you who may have listened to the episode right when it came out, here's a quick little recap of what was going on. Uh, The year is 1958, and WXYZ is the hottest teen hit station in New York City. Jane, who dreams of making a career as a singer, works as a coffee girl for Straight Lace Steve, the station's number one DJ. Steve is obsessed with playing the same safe, tired hits night after night. After years of trying and failing to establish herself in the music business, Jane decides to take matters into her own hands. She locks herself in the booth and broadcasts her own songs to the world, flipping the station upside down. And here to talk with us about the opening number, Teen Sock Op Sweetheart, is its composer and lyricist, James Batchelor. Hi, James. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> Living yes. our best pandemic life recording oh, yes. literally across the country from each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Timing is always super great. Yeah, and... <laughs> we we love it. <laughs> in yeah. our own like little spaces. You look like you're in a lovely little like closet blanket fort. Which oh, if I it love. looks like I'm in a closet blanket fort, it's because I am. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's state of the art comforter and um clothes racks hey you know as long as it gets the (laughs) job done man so uh we're here to talk about this awesome song that you wrote for the episode which i i'm kind of i'm low-key obsessed with it maybe high-key obsessed i'm not sure which is the correct term here because i'm not that young (laughs) mid-key split the difference (laughs) mid-key there you go i like that and uh yeah so uh tell me i mean i guess let's start with just kind of like what was what was your inspiration for writing the song like what was your inspiration behind the song yeah. Um, so uh, I listen to uh, a lot of 50s doo-wop and rock and roll as it is. So that's just something that I'm always, I've just been aware of for a long time and have listened to for probably like a decade now. I've been into that. Um, and Alan has as well. And so when they knew, uh, and Alan and Jacob knew they were going to do a musical uh, episode about you know the 50s, um, they asked me if I could write a song to be the uh, sort of one of the intro songs of it. And their request was that it be a song that was all about uh, conformity and about being the same as everyone else. Um, and <laughs> Which was you know, a big deal in the 50s. Yeah, I mean, that that is honestly not even an exaggeration of what most of the music is. In some way, shape, or form, all the songs are hitting those kind of beats. And 
Um, it, it's it's entertaining and the music's really great, but that is a sort of eh, problematic undertone. <laughs> we'll say, but yeah, but um, but yeah, like there's a so so it's there's always this obsession with um being a teenager and what that meant at that time. I think that's where the idea of the the sweet sixteen really came in, where it was like the world was your oyster and there was so much hype put on that. So obviously that was going to be an element of the song too, is that it was going to be about a, a teenager. So teen sock hop, sweetheart. Um, sure. Uh, and for those who don't know, a sock hop was like a school dance um, in the fifties and sixties where they would, they would take off their shoes because they couldn't wear their sneakers and what have you, their shoes on the dance floor or on the, uh, usually it was like a gymnasium. So they wore socks. Um, I, I hope that's the correct explanation. <laughs> it's been. A I mean, it sounds it sounds right to me. Just say it enough, with authority. I, <laughs> I net well, you know, the funny thing is, I never thought about it, but I mean, it makes sense, you know, because especially depending on the type of flooring. And I'm sorry, this is such a musical theater nerd thing, but like depending on the type of flooring, the shoes actually could cause a fair amount of damage to it mm-hmm. when there's that many people dancing on it at one time. So yeah, that that actually makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. So um. So that's that's what that's. When you hear the sock hop in the song, that's what it's referring to. It's a gr- basically the girl at the school dance that everyone likes because she's like everyone else. So that's that's what the foundation of the song was in terms of the the idea. Um, as far as the musical inspiration, um, I'd have to say the biggest influence was the song Sixteen Candles" by the Crests, um, and a little bit of teen, uh, not Teen Angel, uh, Earth Angel. There it is. I got it. I got there. <laughs> Teen Angels, a little Grease reference for all of those yeah. musical theater fans out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and I think I should, I'm going to stop at this juncture to mention because I failed to do so earlier, which is my bad. Uh, for those of you who don't know, <clears throat> James is actually the brother of one of our show's creators, Alan Blake Bachelor. So yes. that's, that's yes. how we know James. <laughs> yes, exactly. And in turn, how I know everyone else. Um, Correct. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so um, I've and I've been participating, uh, lending my voice here and there in like background voices for for some of the other prior episodes. But this was certainly really fun to to step into this part of the process. Um, yeah, absolutely. I remember when um, when Jacob was reaching out to me and we were starting to talk about the music. He was like, "Well, actually, James wrote this song," and I was like, "Oh no way, that's awesome." Um, because I did, I knew you wrote music um, from another project that we're all working on together that we'll yes. talk about at another point. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but so I knew you wrote music and I knew you wrote well. But I was I Thank I you. didn't realize that they had asked you to to write a song like a full song for the episode, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song itself is is actually a lot of fun. Again, if you haven't listened to the episode, why are you waiting? Go listen to it now. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about a little bit, sort of about your like what is your writing. Project? Process. So you had the inspiration for the song, and then what? What kind mm-hmm. of is like your process for writing a song? Because I know for some writers, it's they write the tune first. For some writers, they write the lyrics first. What? How does your brain tick? So I would say uh, I operate on team tune first. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I, I have to sit down at a keyboard and just sort of plink away at it and try different chord progressions and in different melody lines until I get something that just feels right. And then I'll usually come up with the full melody before I add the lyrics. Um, I, I've tried doing it the other way. Um, and I 
I it's I don't know. I just can't. I, I it's I don't know how uh how the other guys do. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I mean, I have admiration for anyone who can put lyrics to anything because I am not a lyricist. It has been tried and it has failed miserably. So I I stay as far away from the lyrics as I can, but it's interesting because as somebody who who primarily just writes music, to me like I don't like for whatever reason my brain just imagines that it makes more sense for the lyrics to come first. But I actually know oh, so many does. writers. <laughs> well, no, but like that's the funny thing. Like I know so many writers who, or I have heard stories of so many writers, specifically of musical theater, who they they the lyricist gets the tune first and then mm-hmm. creates lyrics to go with it. So I don't know. I think it's a pretty good mixed bag of like how people write. So I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean it's. It's uh, fun in the sense that, like, I just enjoy sitting down at a keyboard anyway. And I'll do that if I'm brainstorming, just writing something that's non-musical anyway. So, like, it's a natural thing for me to just do that. And I think that's why I've, that's why when I've written songs, it's just the way I naturally went. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, so that that's basically that's, that's my awesome. process. So once I had the the, the tune down, I, I was able to. Um, I, I will say this: I knew that I wanted the chorus to have "Teen Sock Up Sweetheart." I knew that was gonna be once I like th- th- that kind of happened at the same time because I knew that was gonna be a mouthful to say. I was like, well, that has to be like <laughs> part of the chorus because that's that's the thing. So and, and usually right. these songs, the chorus will start with or have the uh the title in it teen sock up sweetheart girl of my dreams love her forever if she will love me <laughs> that's it i love i love it that's awesome and did you so when you were writing the song like you know i know as somebody who writes music you know oftentimes the first draft is not what the finished product ends up being. So did you find yourself in a situation where like you had a set of lyrics and you went, uh, that didn't work or where you had, you know, where maybe you had uh, originally the song was longer, but then you realized you needed to pare it down for time. And so you had verses or choruses that you cut, like what, what was that process like? Yeah. Um, so I, I knew the basis of what the episode was going to be, obviously, I wasn't sure as I was writing it how long it needed to be or how at what point it was going if, if it was going to get cut off or, you know, I didn't know exactly how it was going to fit in in that regard. I knew the basics. So I overwrote it. And then when I gave uh, Jacob and Alan and you, the material was sort of like. Um, I told Jacob and Alan, like, hey, do what you need to with the lyrics. If you need to cut it down or rearrange some things, go at it. I'm not precious <laughs> about <laughs> things like that. I, I, it's, you know, darlings are meant to be killed in arts and what have you. So, <laughs> which sounds horrible, but. Is but a- <laughs> uh, listen, that's how the, the best the best works are created by the writers who are the least afraid to edit their own work or have their work edited by other people. Yeah. So it's it's true. Yeah. So I, I did have more lyrics. Um I had a whole section that was about um sort of talking about the idea of a, a snowflake. They people talking about how a snowflake is meant to be different and unique, but um you know, 
that's not cool. And it's sort of just getting onto <laughs> like harping on sort of tropes in the way that the song does and sort of reinforcing the idea of conformity. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, the, the, the message got across with less time and those other verses were unnecessary. So uh, I think the song's a lot tighter for the for the cuts that were made. Um, and don't feel bad at all that they're that they're gone <laughs> because because you know you, all, all, the, the most important thing is that the song works well in the context. Sure. Well, and I you know I remember when I listened to it, I said to Jacob what I loved. So you know for for those who maybe don't know as much about the fifties, it was a very interesting time, and. What I think is interesting is this episode is set in the late 50s. So mm-hmm. music was music was starting to take a different turn, you know, the the music of the 50s as it as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, was starting to shift into the music of the 60s where rock and roll became much more prevalent and started to be, you know, a much heavier sound than yeah. sort of the lighter airier sounds of the 50s. And so this this episode kind of takes us a little bit into that world, but the 50s themselves were a fascinating time. And the, the world, and especially, you know, I, I can only speak for the U.S. because that's all I really know the most about. But in yes. the U.S., it really was, there were a lot of things that maybe, well, not maybe, there are a lot of things that if we looked at them nowadays, we'd be like, wow, that is really, really messed up. Like, oh, yeah. you know, the, the, the inherent sort of misogyny, and the, you know, the woman's place is in the kitchen and, and the sexism and all of that stuff. And so mm-hmm. what I found, what I remember saying to Jacob when I listened to the song was I thought it's, it did such a brilliant job of commenting on all of that stuff in a way that, that was absolutely in the songs of the 50s, but in a slightly more obvious way so that mm-hmm. we just kind of bring it right to the front and are like, hi, this is fun music, but also... The 50s had some issues that we should talk about. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the fun of the of this particular tone of the show is that you can kind of go more extreme. There's no need for the to be subtle <laughs> about it. Oh, we could yeah. be uh, you know, totally upfront ab- about that aspect of it and and then, you know, that sets the stage for the rest of the story. Teen up sweetheart. Perfect to me. She looks and so rarely speaks. I think that's just a great comment on the times that we live in. Obviously, the times we live in are far from perfect, but, you know, a lot of those things are much more open conversations now, where in the 50s, it was like, no, 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 hush up. Don't speak about that. So that's, you we hold it inside that. and you hold it inside. <laughs> Correct. And for those in Book of Mormon, we would say, turn it off. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, but it, but that's how it was. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I love the way that the song sort of commented on all of that. And um, the interesting thing about this particular episode, unlike the others, is it was it takes place in the form of a radio broadcast, something like you mm-hmm. would have heard in the 50s. So the songs have literally nothing to do with each other, mm-hmm. unlike a typical musical where the songs are storytelling devices that you know help to bring us through the story from point A to point Z. You know, And so this episode, each song is just basically like some sort of a pop chart you might have heard on the radio in the 50s, mm-hmm. um, which I thought is such a fascinating idea, but it also kind of is a different bag of tricks for a songwriter to 
to be able to craft a song that literally just kind of stands on its own legs while commenting on whatever you needed it to say. What I was super impressed by is your the the, the way you captured so authentically the sound of these types of songs. The instrumentation was was exactly like what you hear in in a, in a you know top charted song from that period. Um, it, it was it's super impressive um i don't know if you want to <laughs> elaborate more on some of the specifics of how you got there yeah totally you know i'm i'm glad you brought it up actually because yeah the as with any sort of period in time you know the music of the time uh has its own sort of tone and its own sort of sound and the thing about the 50s was we hadn't quite reached rock and roll as we know it. So there were, a, you know, any sort of quote unquote rock and roll sound was much more pared down. You didn't have as much d- distorted guitar. I think mm-hmm. the first like real distortion in guitars started showing up a little bit around 1956. And but it, but even then it was like not what we're used to today. It was absolutely right. not like heavy metal distortion. It was like just a little, just a little color on the guitar. Um, but a lot of the music of the fifties was a, much more like a ballad, and and that's what you know, Teen Sock Off Sweetheart is. It's a it's a ballad with a little bit of a beat. Um, and so you know the the classic sound of the fifties was your very basic rhythm section. So you had you know one maybe two guitar players. You had a bass player, you had a drummer, maybe you had a piano, maybe. It sort of depended on the band, but that was basically it. Um, so when it came to this song, like I really wanted to honor that. So you have the clean sort of electric guitar mm-hmm. literally just hitting one beat in a measure. So it goes, teen hasak hop, sweetheart, cack. Cack, like that's all it does. Like the guitar barely does anything beyond that. Um, I think I did have a piano in there and a bass and some drums. Mm -hmm. And then for the chorus, I snuck in some strings, just, just a little bit. That's really that's really it. And the the tricky part about instrumentation for a specific style is is getting it right. And specifically this style is it's very simple. And simple is hard to do. Yes. <laughs> simple is not easy. And I think that's in any form of writing. Simple is very difficult. It's actually much harder than doing something complicated because if you're putting together a complicated orchestration, you just sort of start and you just add and add and add and add and add and it becomes this big giant thing, which is fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, doing something much smaller is is a bit more challenging. So I was actually very, I found this episode generally very challenging, but specifically this song, I was like, I really want to get this right. And it is a very tricky, there's no room to hide. And because outside mm-hmm. of the live guitar, all of these instruments are generated by me via a keyboard and some computer software which is nuts. there isn't it, it's, <laughs> it's it's very it, it does not sound that it, it sounds like you've gotten a band to record the entire like 
Well, good. I'm, that's that's <laughs> our goal. Like we have you fooled, then we did our job. Um, yeah, because and that honestly, that's what made it so hard is because there were like five or six different instrument tracks, and so there's no room to hide. So you really had to. I had to be very careful about trying to craft how they sounded to make sure that they that they come across as real, you know, until we one day have a budget and I can hire a live band to do mm-hmm. it, which is which is the dream, man. Yeah. But uh, yep. <laughs> but until then, I'm happy that it's sounding real. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a really fun process and I mean the episode in general was was really really a blast. Um, each song you did too that you you worked on, you really did make it um in conjunction with Alan and, and Jacob. Um, you guys all made each song sound like a distinct style from that time period. So, yeah, you know, some, there's a little Frankie Valley at one point, (laughs) which I love. Um, our Frankie Valley on steroids, literally eight different singers, like double the four seasons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a blast, and I will say I I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that the we were so fortunate on all of our episodes to have so many talented people. But yes, the four guys who brought Teen Sock Hop Sweetheart to life are just some of the best guys ever. And Jaron Barney, who sang lead on it, has possibly the most perfect crooner voice I've ever I mean, heard seriously. since like the fifties. He he <laughs> sounds as though. He came straight out of that time period when he's singing, and even the the um, the little runs he would do, or the, mm-hmm. the, the you know, it, it was authentic. It was exactly like what they were doing at that time period. Teen sock hop, sweetheart, girl of my dreams, love her forever. If she will love me, she's that was definitely something that I was concerned about going into this episode generally was just really making sure that we had singers who could really pull off sort of the styles in front of them because vocal styles since the 50s have changed so dramatically, quite literally by decade. Literally, if you listen to 50s music and then you listen to 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, like the voices change every decade Mm -hmm. and the styles change every decade. And so we're... Now, you know, what are we, 60, 70, whatever, however many years removed from the 50s that, like, you know, the voices nowadays are so different. We were so fortunate to find singers who either already had a pretty good handle on what that should sound like or were able to very quickly figure out how to make their voices mimic that sort of sound. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to to bring it to life, and that was that was the other thing about the song too was it was a really fun excuse to write some really like cool fifties background vocal mm-hmm. lines, yeah. which aren't particularly complicated, but I just think they sound really cool because we don't hear vocals like that anymore, right? Unless where it's some sort of a specific throwback. Yeah, where you'll have someone say a line and then everyone joins in on like a phrase and they emphasize each word. <laughs> And I mean, that's so from that, it, it literally exists in that little pocket of time. And then the, that's it. We don't do yeah, yeah, don't it, the seventies, eighties, like they never, that just kind of went away. No. Yeah. Throwback. There's, 
There are very few times that any background vocals mimic that kind of thing. There, there were there were hints of similarities, but yeah, it was really kind of its own little pocket of time where vocals were were put together that way. Um, and it was it was definitely a challenge for the background singers on this song and a couple of the others because when you're dealing with ooh ah and o, oh, <laughs> and you're alternating between only vowels and there aren't really words for a roadmap, it's very easy as you're recording to accidentally say o oh, instead of ooh, or yeah. ah instead of o oh, or whatever whatever have you. And it was it was kind of a hysterical. Right. <laughs> the and recording that, and sessions the, were a lot of fun. <laughs> You know, we're all completely separate. Um, yeah. But in that, in the 50s and 60s, they, they recorded, as I understand it, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, they recorded a lot of times all at once with the instrumentation and the vocals in the same space. They, so all yeah. the people would be singing at the same time as someone would be playing drums. Like it would just be recorded in the, in the studio. At that and that, that is literally the opposite of what's happening even even over the years like so in the 50s you know from fr again from what i understand and from things that i've seen like if the background vocalists were in a studio recording together there would be three of them like if there were three of them they would be gathered around one mic mm -hmm. singing into one mic whereas nowadays if we were recording something like that outside of the pandemic of course you'd be in a recording studio but each vocalist would be in a separate booth with their own microphone recording at the same time, but like completely isolated from each other. Right. So the process, even today, is is still so different. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but but the the trickier thing, of course, with what we're doing, and this is for all our episodes, is you know literally every person records their part completely separate. They have no concept really of like how their part fits with the other parts. Until they listen to the episode yes. once I've yes. I've edited all the vocals <laughs> together and went, look, it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is always, you know, it's a fun, it is a fun challenge. It is, uh, you know, it is definitely tricky, but I, I don't know, like, I feel like it's so amazing that we can do what we're doing given the circumstances that we're <laughs> having to deal with. Yes. Um. And literally being all over the place, you know, some of our folks are in New York, some are in California, I'm in South Carolina, like, you know, mm -hmm. we're all literally all over the place. Um, yeah, this was, this was really, really a fun episode. And I'm, I'm so happy that, that you were on board to write this song. And uh, I'm, I have no doubt we'll be hearing more from you, <laughs> both as an actor and as a writer on this series, as we continue to journey towards one million musicals. <laughs> yes. Well, I had a blast uh, working on this one, and uh, I'm so excited about the future episodes of this show and where it's going and what sort of if adventures are going to be had. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a wild ride. Definitely uh for for those of you who are listening, thank you and uh and definitely stay tuned. And here in its entirety for your listening pleasure is Teen Sock Hop Sweetheart. <laughs> Teen Sock Hop Sweetheart Girl of my dreams Love her forever 
If she will love me, she's so enticing, conforming so nicely, and that's why I love her so. Her likes and her hobbies, they do not stand It's like she descended from heaven above She's so enticing, conforming so nicely And that's why I love her so She doesn't push boundaries, not even a bit She knows that to do so is Hey there, friends. Travis again. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. This episode was edited and produced by me, Travis Cook Johnson. If you'd like to support the incredible artists who help make this show possible, you can head on over to GoFundMe.com, where you can make a one-time donation to our One Million Musicals Artist Fund. This is to help us compensate the brilliant actors, musicians, and engineers who give our show the Broadway quality you've come to expect. The link to that fund is in the description of this episode. And if you really love our show and want to make your donations monthly, you can head on over to patreon.com slash one million musicals. There you'll find sneak peeks, bonus behind the scenes episodes, official playbills, and so much more. Thanks again, and stay tuned for tons more musical content coming your way. This is Patrick. And this is Mark, co-host of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're your home for all things Nintendo. On Tuesday, we're talking about the latest Nintendo news. And on Thursday, we're doing deep dives into specific corners of the Nintendo universe. Ranking the Koopa Kids. Determining who the best Smash Fighter is. That's Nintendo Cartridge Society on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.